Hey guys, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 36. Today I'm speaking with Amanda Lannert, CEO at Jellyvision. We discuss why pivoting your company is necessary sometimes, how to find product market fit, and how to survive long enough until you do. Enjoy. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website. Choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Amanda Lannert, the CEO of a company called Jellyvision, which is an interesting name because, I mean, I guess you wouldn't really know what they do based on the name. Um, so Amanda, but uh, they do some really cool stuff. So Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Delighted to be here. So I like to always start off asking about, you know, who you are, what you do, just to kind of get a feel for what it is you're working on on a day-to-day basis and also like, you know, where you've come from and to where you are today. Uh, so kind of give, get, kind of give us an idea of, of who you are and what you're doing right now. So I run Jellyvision, a company that makes software that we license to mostly large employers to help them help their employees choose and use their health insurance. Uh, the way to look at it is Ford spends more money per car on health insurance than it does steal, and one in four of their employees making these decisions would rather clean a toilet than think about benefits. <laughs> so we bring really, really delightful, engaging, if you can believe it, helpful software that basically sells math so employees can make smart decisions about how they're going to pay for and finance their health care, and we're reducing the cost of confusion around health care accordingly. Uh, who who am I? That's a pretty existential question to jump in. You know, I'm a, a CEO, a wife, a mom. Uh, I seek to entertain myself. I invest in companies, and I'm a big advocate of the Chicago tech scene. So Jellyvision is based in Chicago, correct? That's that's we, where you guys are headquartered. You got it. We are a Chicago-based company for sure. So when you when you got what were you, what were you, I guess what were you doing before Jellyvision? What 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 was your role? Uh, you know before you before you you landed at Jellyvision and you weren't immediately CEO, correct? At Jellyvision you, when you, you got there, you got it. Um, here's here's the sort of uh, two minute or less history. I'm the kid of academics. I was originally planning to get a JD MD and write policy for for hospitals around what to do with, about abandoned embryos and euthanasia and stuff like that. Had a major in English, studied Augustan to Romantic Literature, um, and got behind in my pre-med uh, when I spent a year abroad in Scotland. Came home, uh, asked my dad for a fifth year of college. He said, that's awesome. How are you going to pay for it? And I basically realized I was off the dole and tried to figure out what to do as a kid with no skills, no network, and no meaningful experience beyond bartending. Uh, so I did what a lot of people in that situation do. I turned to advertising. Uh, I was an East Coast kid that didn't want to go all the way to the West Coast. So I looked at the Midwest, and to me it was just Chicago. And I said, all right, what's advertising like in, in Chicago? Found a company called Leo Burnett and graduated from college on a Friday, joined Leo Burnett on a Monday, uh, and basically started my career uh, getting kids to eat you know, Pop-Tarts and Eggo waffles, spending $110 million a year 
working with a consumer packaged goods company. So I started my career as a marketer. Um, gotcha. Yeah, that, yeah. that was my, my start. I spent about five to six years at Leo Burnett. Half of it I was doing you know, traditional CPG marketing. Half of it I was living in a, a new brand, new business development think tank where I helped them figure out you know, acquisition opportunities and what brands to launch. And they basically got a firsthand look of watching a big company innovate or tr- try to innovate. And I wanted to go from big to small and slow to fast and consumer packaged goods to tech. And sort of through a, a guy named Troy Hennikoff was introduced to Jellyvision and joined uh, uh, in 2000 as a marketer, just air quotes marketer. Uh, they didn't want to give me a director title, even though I was VP track at Leo Burnett. I didn't want to step down and become a marketing manager. So we just said I was marketer and I became president of the company about six months later. And then many, many years later, uh, seven years ago, became a CEO. Interesting. So that's an interesting way to kind of track from uh, from one from advertising to running a a, uh, a business. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about what Jelly Vision was when you first got there. Yeah. So Cause it's because it's not it was it wasn't what you're doing today, which is selling HR solutions to companies like Ford, right? Couldn't, couldn't be more different. I joined a company at the height of the You Don't Know Jack gaming day. So I joined a gaming company that made You Don't Know Jack and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. We made games mostly for CD-ROMs, but also for console, emerging and online. We did television shows on ABC. Uh, it was an incredible, uh, you know, very you know independent gaming company in Chicago. So. Uh, when I became president, I inherited the P&L of a company uh, more or less going off a financial cliff because the CD-ROM market was dying and quickly. Games were moving online, but nobody was making money yet. And then consoles were going through a, a pretty important transition. The first Xbox, the first Dreamcast, the first PlayStation were launching. So publishers were investing in games that showed off the core technology of the boxes and not so much in mass market family game show games like we made. Uh, so my my sort of falling into entrepreneurialism was trial by fire. We had to figure out how to pivot or we would have died. And we certainly went through massive layoffs. The company went from 70 people to 14 people. And we made you know the first of many giant pivots where we went from being a, a gaming company to creating virtual game show hosts in a B2C gaming space to becoming uh, an advisor company that created virtual advisors in a business-to-business enterprise space. Uh, and Jellyvision went through a number of different you know, attempts and runs and pivots before we finally found our way with Alex in about 2011, 2012. Alex, our software platform, is not the first time we tried to productize and scale what we do. It's just the first time it worked. So definitely a long and winding road with several near-death experiences to finally find our way with Alex. Right. So, so, so you guys like you hear when you hear when you hear when you hear uh, startups talk about pivoting uh, these days. You know, oftentimes I, I I feel like personally that many companies don't realize that over the course of their lifetime they're going to have to pivot in one way or another. Uh, it may not be it may not be a, a pivoting the entire product, but you will have to pivot parts of your business. I mean, even Facebook is realizing that, you know, moving, wanting to move advertisements from the news feed into stories and, and other things. Uh, now, that that's a pivot, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's a matter of how dramatically are you changing your business because any competitive advantage in product or technology lasts what four months these days. Mm-hmm. You you have to constantly be evolving. It's just a question of how how dramatic is it? Is it evolution or revolution? And for us, it was a reinvention of business model, a reinvention of product, a reinvention of go to market the way we monetize, like nothing lasted, which is why I would call it, you know, a pretty profound, profound about face. Uh, and for us, like why pivot? Well, the goal as a business is to be able to sell the same thing to multiple customers who are satisfied while being profitable. And we were not hitting any of those bullet points. I mean, we had great games, but we were not able to monetize them, not able to do it repeatedly and consistently. And so we needed to find a new way to apply our our sort of approach to interface in a place where we could actually make money and pay salaries and have a sustainable business. So it wasn't it wasn't, you know, us trying to capitalize more. It was us wanting to not die and needing to find a new way to to bring to bear uh, what we do as a software company. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so if, you're, if you're not yeah. reinventing, you're in trouble these days. Everybody's reinventing and evolving and, and, and trying to be new and different because the market's moving pretty quickly. I'm really curious to kind of hear how, how you guys continue to be able to pivot. Even, you know, did, did you did you have like cash hoards or like uh, investor money that you hadn't burned through that you were able to use during these times? Like, how, how did you manage to stay afloat? We raised a small um, family and friends uh, angel round, which we called our Series A. Um, the, the founder of Jellyvision, Harry Gottlieb, uh, put together uh, you know just under two million dollar round uh, to seed the company, uh, and we managed to burn through that in the first couple of years. Um, there are two types of VCs that you can use to fund your business. One is venture capitalists. Another are vested customers. And we constantly funded our R&D, our tool set development, our salaries by selling pilot projects or, or getting customers to fund initiatives. So we used that other type of VC and had a lot of sort of patron saint uh, financers where we could sell a big idea to a big company who would pay us enough that we could spend you know, a couple of years building out technology, building out solutions and, and working on our craft, which ultimately was a series of steps that led to Alex. Understood. So, I'm curious. I'm, I'd love to hear kind of any advice you have you would give to a startups out there, or founders, or people who are who are working at these startups who, let's say, have so far to date failed to uh, what they call find the right product market fit, which is something that you guys struggled to do for a while after you decided to abandon gaming. What what's what's the best way to um, Okay, what advice should what would you give them in order in order to help them kind of see see themselves through that that situation? I'm, I wish I had something completely new and and inspired to drop on entrepreneurs listening, but I really don't. It, it is so much about the fundamentals. You have to obsessively study your customers. There is unfortunately a really big difference between what customers say and what customers do. That is 100% true. I'll get behind that 100%. (laughs) So you got to be an anthropologist. You you have to almost study them in the wild. And I'll tell a story uh, from my Leo Burnett days. I didn't actually work on this, but I think it's just a great sort of anecdote. Uh, Leo Burnett created a a group that marketed specifically to women called Leo She. And Leo She was hired by a face uh, cream brand called Oil of Olay. 
that was basically selling to women who got older and older and they were worried about not being relevant to a young market and how would oil of lace stay relevant and sort of changing uh, beauty ideals. And Leo, she said, that's great. They went and they talked to a bunch of women who used oil of lace who were all in their 50s and said, we are so sick of you advertising beauty cream with 18-year-old supermodels. We have earned every wrinkle. All we want to do is be healthy, but we're proud of who we are. We love who we are. Hear us roar. Leo, she said, this is amazing insight. They did a bunch of commercials that showed 50-year-old women with wrinkles looking healthy and happy and content with themselves, and sales plummeted. So they said, all right, let's go back to those same women who said, show us you know, ourselves, show us our wrinkles, let us be our whole selves, and show me what's in your beauty drawer. And these same women would open it up and there'd be Retin-A and anti-wrinkle cream and Botox and various things. And so that's the big difference. Like you, when you are really trying to figure out, can you bring a, a solution to market? You need to know, is it a priority for your customers? Are they currently spending money on something that you can replace? If it's, if it's a latent need, it's really, really hard to create it into an active need. But if it's an active need, you can create urgency to switch to your solution if it's superior. So uh, really know the market, really know the players, really know customers, uh, and and watch intently where they're spending their money, whether it's B2C or B2B, it doesn't matter, but know what they do, because you're going to position yourselves as a slight evolution, hopefully, an easy evolution, uh, and, and that's a, the sort of the second bucket of advice is there are two ways to get people to change behavior. You can motivate them, or you can make it easy, and I think that companies spend too much time on making sure you're motivated and not enough time making sure it is very, very easy to buy from you. Um, making procurement as simple as possible, making your contracts as simple as possible, uh, m helping uh, uh, companies sell you internally. But I think if a company spends as much time curating a process that is easy to navigate as much as it is important to navigate, you'll get more sales. Those are my two buckets of advice for entrepreneurs. Those are really great buckets. And again, I will back you on, on saying it is 100%, you know, it, 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 really more to be able to understand that knowing your knowing what your customer kind of says they want and what they actually do uh, are, are, are not always aligned, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just that just the way it is. So I, I mean, I struggled with this when I was building Kaya, where it was, I would go out and I would speak with hundreds of different publishers trying to understand what they were looking for from an analytics product making understanding how they were using their current products and 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 what features and functionality they thought they they needed and then we would go out and we would and we would build you know particular things and and they'd be like yeah this is great but you know it would also maybe you know but but they wouldn't actually end up always signing up to pay for the product which was super frustrating uh, in and of itself, and then also the other thing is the other thing that came the, the other thing that we that we noticed was that how just because the uh, just because you know just because we made the we, one of the things that like you were talking about was making it as easy as, as possible to install, and we, I worked tirelessly with my CTO to ensure that the product was super easy to install. I mean, like from, from like the early days, like the MVP type product that we had was a pain in a butt pain in the butt to install and mm -hmm. I knew that this wasn't going to fly so we we worked super hard to get you know plugins for for different CMS systems that way they wouldn't have to embed any code we worked you know uh, making sure that the sign up flow was as simple to follow as possible 
that there weren't any, you know, confusing, you know, uh, points during the sign-up flow. You know, all that stuff makes it, you know, just can make or break, you know, whether someone ends up signing up for the for your for your for your for your product because if they feel like at any point in time, oh, this is confusing, I'll come back, and then they'll they'll never come back uh, yes. to try and friction. Friction is a killer. It's a killer. Yeah. People are busy and you're never as important as you want to be. Most people who run companies spend all day thinking about something their customer thinks about very little. That's most of us are in the reality. We spend all day long thinking about something a customer thinks about just a little part of their day in addition to everything else. And so it's, it's easy to inflate your self-worth because you obsess about your craft or you obsess about your product or you obsess about your industry. Uh, and you do need to realize you are competing for sort of mental energy from your customers and you don't want to tax them in any way, uh, unnecessarily in any way if you can avoid it. Absolutely. So I want to ask you a question that, that I feel like it's, it, it should have a – I feel like a lot of people like, well, duh, of course, right? But the question is how do you know when you have the right product market fit? How did you know when Jelly Vision – hit it with Alex and, and, and working on the HR solutions problem and helping their employees kind of better understand their, their options and, and things like that. Yeah, very early on when you're selling B2B, which is obviously quite different than B2C, you're, you're selling the founder's story. So much of it was, you know, Harry who had invented You Don't Know Jack and had an approach to interactivity and was you know trying to go to where there's furrow brow, where people are doing something complicated and boring but important. and our software talks you through it. And we were approaching, you know, the healthcare vertical because it's giant. It's 18% of the GDP. It's enormous pain for employers and employees. And, and in going in, you kind of sell the whole vision of the founder story. You know you're getting traction in a B2B space when you start to sell the same thing over and over. When it's not customized in this way or unique in this way, it's really the same thing off the shelf being sold. So the first thing is, can you sell it to the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, seventeenth customer? Pretty much the same way. The second sort of phase of traction is, can someone besides the founder or CEO sell it? Can you have a salesperson sell it? Can it not be the founder-led, you know, innovative sale? Uh, and then ultimately, you know, you finally hit scale, which is different than traction, when you start to sell your product based not on the founder story, but on other customers' stories. When market validation becomes what you lead with, that that is scale. Traction is selling the same thing over and over to satisfy customers profitably. Scale is uh, being able to sell it based on proof points and market from others. That That's a great point. And I feel like when I was working on Kaya, one of the important things uh, for us early on was really, I mean, was really the founder story. Uh, because, yeah. you know, we, we, we didn't, we got to some traction, but never really to the point where uh, we, we were able to make it past that. But... Uh, but for us, it was all about. I was the main kind of salesperson in the process. I had I worked with a, uh, another sales rep, uh, but it was me who ended up doing a majority of the demos and things like that uh, during that time because it was my story of how I I built a media company, I built a, a digital publication, and I understood the frustrations that other publishers were facing with their analytics solutions, right? That was the whole kind of story. And I mean, which was true, which is why I ended up building the product. Uh, but but I, I, I totally agree that, you know, being able to have a repeatable process that you can hand off at a certain point uh, where 
I mean, it just has to happen uh, yeah. in, order, in, order, in, order for, in order for you to be able to move to the next level. Uh, yeah. With that, yeah. So. Part of this, you know, this is the, is the founder. Um, when, when, you, when you sell, it's different than sales. It's not just business development. It's also product development. You, you right. are the one who can take and say, if we built that, would that be more helpful? And what if we did this? Would that be more helpful? Is that more interesting? Like very early sales are, are product development. You're getting market feedback and figuring out exactly what you need to do and what you, what you can cut and still have a valuable uh, product. You can't have salespeople doing that at scale. It's chaos. It's unsustainable. They need to be able to take something off the shelf, be limited and constrained in features and still be able to bring you know, value to the market. Uh, that that's also the difference. You see a lot of founders and CEOs. It's 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 product development in the early stage, and then it becomes repeatable sales. That's a great point. So I, I, I at the same time, you know, you were doing all these pivots, and and then you finally found this product market fit that that worked for you. I also want to just had like how did you know when it was time to stop pivoting? Aside from the product market fit, like. Or was it the product market fit that made you know it was time to stop pivoting? It, 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 it's in such a simple way. It's when you beat plan, when you can okay. double your <laughs> business in a year, when when you see a pipeline and a runway in front of you that's worth focusing on. Um, we, we've been able to land some of the best logos in the country and they say, what else do you have? What's, what's next, Jelly Vision? Give us more. Uh, and that that to us was like it's time to stop fluttering around in the wind. We actually shuttered. We walked away from our agency business and had to sunset relationships and and sort of exit projects, which was really hard for a company that was broke for for so long. You know, just like making ends meet, barely, barely to walk away from millions of dollars in in service revenue. But that was that was it's all about focus. You know, the things that keep me up at night then. Uh, that kept me up at night then was, you know, how to make ends meet, how to how to get the next deal. And the things that keep us up at night now are about how to focus, how to not do too much, how to not squander opportunity by being over the place. Like our no's are as important as our yeses now. And that's just one of the one of the changes. Like once you start to say, wow, no is an important strategy, you found product market fit. You're not just trying to stay alive anymore. Right. What 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 do you what do you when you when you say no to an opportunity what 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 weights are you measuring back and forth in your mind? So first of all, is it repeatable? Is this a product or a one-off? Is this SaaS revenue? Is it quality revenue versus service revenue? Is it helpful? Uh, our, our our purpose as a company is to be helpful. Is this actually reducing the cost of confusion? Are we helping employees live a better financial life? and we're helping employers save money accordingly. Uh, do we think we can bring to bear something unique and special in the marketplace, or should someone else who has a different skill set and a different approach to product be solving the problem? Uh, do we think we can sell to a broad base of customers? Um, is this gonna be something on the shelf in seven years or just for seven months? Those are the kinds of questions we ask ourselves. You know, is it, Does it align with our purpose? Will it make us money? And most importantly, will it knock the socks off our customers and our users? Is it going to be something meaningful for them? Right. So, so I mean, so we talk about focus, and I, I really think that's an important point, uh, especially when it comes to determining the best way forward, like you were just discussing, for your product and your company. What do you have any stories or or, or tales of when 
what when you I, I guess either you or or that you know, or someone that you were working with or that you know of kind of lost focus and and and, and something happened where where that was possibly avoidable. I think it's 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 easier to do as you get bigger. Um, and, and for us, we had uh, we had two different businesses, and we at one point thought that we were going to actually split them and separate the companies and have sort of a creative boutique agency and then the Alex company and have them separate. And that was a very, uh, a sense of trying to have our cake and eat it too. Can we do these multiple things? And as we were trying to actually separate the companies and figure out how we can have a go at it, we realized that all of the skill sets in the, in the agency business, if we applied them towards the Alex platform and products and line extensions, we would create a substantially more valuable business if we just make one bet and drive at it, which is what we did. So it's, it's, I think we could have, we could have lost a lot of steam. We could have hemorrhaged a lot of talent out of the core Alex business if we had split them. And instead we just said, we're going to focus on quality dollars. We're going to focus on building this product out as a brand that consumers trust and rely on. And we're going to be, you know, sort of the, the trustworthy employer brand of choice. And we're not going to try to do all things for all people. Um, and, you know, hopefully history will, will bear out that that was a good decision. Um, so far, so good. But, you know, time tells all uh, with all questions. Uh, but we face it all the time. I mean, the, the things the things that keep me up at night, again, to go back to, like, my sleepless nights, we're big enough with 400-plus employees and well capitalized enough just based on revenues alone that we can build anything. We cannot build everything. And so our bets really, really matter. Are we building something that is innovative but viable, right? Or is, mm-hmm. is it so innovative that it's scary or is it innovative but still viable? Uh, is this going to be on trend? Uh, what's going to happen with legislation? Where are appetites and interests and priorities going to be in three years? Are we building towards those? Those are the kinds of things. Making smart, decisive bets and then cutting the noise is what we spend a lot of time as, as a company uh, working on right now. I like that saying. I like we can build anything, but we can't build everything. I think that's I yeah. think that's really good. Uh, what I want to I want to sh- shift um, slightly to just talk about some of the challenges that you're facing at Jellyvision today. What what are some of your biggest challenges there, and and how do you kind of see t- uh, yourself tackling them and overcoming them? So bucket one is uh, access to talent. Uh, we don't just need talented, smart people who have technical skills or enterprise sales skills. We need people who are also really, really lovely. So a very, very high bar, and it's it's hard to find people because we're in the talent economy. There is more demand than there are bodies, uh, and so sometimes it's it's hard for us to get uh, positions filled and, and people seated as quickly as we would like, and that hampers us from getting stuff done as fast as we want. So always, always, always access to amazing human beings is a challenge. The second thing is um, we are capable of building better products with more data. The smarter we are about our users and their behavior and their activities, the better our products are. And we're in a world right now where we have tremendous suspicion about data, but not good regulated processes and protocols and sort of a, a, a pact between companies who have access to your data and you as a user, what you allow. Uh, and we are hopeful that some of this, the happy fallout of some very troubling stuff that's been going on around Cambridge Analytica and, and various things will lead to um, clear standards and protocols uh, 
better APIs around, you know, patient and employee information with respect to healthcare so that we can tap into those uh, common standards and APIs to improve the employee and patient experience. But data is not where we need it to be from an infrastructure and understanding perspective in HR tech and FinTech right now. It is just not where we need to be. And that makes and it makes some of our aspirations quite challenging to uh, to implement. And then, you know, I, I think coming up on 400 employees, third thing that's, that's hard is speed. We've done the thing where you go from, you have a small, scrappy crew of everybody's a multi-talented player, everyone's doing four or five jobs. We have now vertically specialized where individuals do deeply, deeply specific, hard jobs with tremendous expertise. And then we have people making sure that these deeply vertically specialized people communicate with other deeply you know, vertically specialized employees. And we're just getting bigger. And it's possible that you can walk into a meeting where maybe 12 people have been invited. And that's just not how speed happens. So we think about how to stay smart and fast even as we grow. That's, that's a challenge we, we struggle with. Good decision making, good communication, good transparency, but also speed of decision making, even when there are a lot of players now in the game. One of the, it's interesting you brought, you brought up uh, talent because that's one of the topics I've actually talked to uh, quite a few uh, quite, quite a few people about on this podcast, especially uh, related to the Chicago tech scene. So, are all your employees are they are they in Chicago or or are they elsewhere? Vast majority are. We have probably ten percent of our population as per, uh, permanently remote. They take their jobs with them when they move. Most people start in Chicago. Uh, we don't tend to hire people outside of Chicago as remote employees right now. That may change if we move to field sales. Uh, but right now, it's definitely a, a population density in HQ in Chicago. Just curious. So, one, I mean, one of the things you, you mentioned was talking about hiring people and, and finding the best talent. Why, why, why is it that you as CEO feel that it's important for everyone to be in the Chicago? Chicago location, at least to start. Oh, well, so first of all, like, why is it important for, for people? It's There are companies that have maybe the perfect algorithm or a Six Sigma production process or an incredible plant where they've optimized with robotics. That's, that's not our business. I, as CEO, recognize where Jelly Vision's bread is buttered, and we are only as good as the people who are building and servicing and selling and supporting our software. We, we, there, there is just a people component to how we sell, how we build, how we make decisions, and how we're successful. Um, we sell pretty humanistic software. It's funny how much you need to be modeling people and have really smart, empathetic people on board to make our software work. So it's a people-driven business. Why do we want people around Chicago? I mean, we, we let you work from home. It's one of those companies. We don't care where you work. Ultimately, you're held accountable for quality and quantity of work long-term at Jellyvision. But the reason to be in the office is, one, we want to encourage collaboration, including unexpected and spontaneous collaboration. Uh, two, we really hire amazing people, and a huge part of retention is knowing your coworkers because we're going to have you seated next to some deeply amazing human beings. And it just makes for a much more fun workday when you actually get to know some of these incredible coworkers at Jellyvision. And then we, we think it helps with communication and transparency and, and the ability to really read what is important and what we value. There, there are weird things about Jellyvision. 
We're a very capital efficient business. We haven't put cash on the balance sheet since 2007. Learning the difference between scrappy and cheap, it, it, it helps to learn it more by osmosis than just reading policies and, and trying to gather and glean it from afar. What does it mean to be helpful? It's better to be in it and just sort of observe the energy and the banter that people have to understand what's important. Uh, we're not a growth at any cost kind of business, right? We, we are deeply care about navigating our world with integrity. It's, it's helpful to see that bear out in anecdotal ways um, that don't come through on Slack and don't come through in email that you sort of gather as you're walking to get coffee in the kitchen. So uh, because it's a people-driven business and our people are ridiculously amazing, uh, it's it's both productivity and job enjoyment to have people get some time in, in our offices in Chicago. I mean, fair enough. And one of the things I should point out that, that before before we got started on, on uh, recording this, you had mentioned that you you are actually working from home today. So um, so there's that as well. I also was curious. One of the uh, things that you mentioned, you know, obviously since you are hiring uh, mostly in Chicago, I'm curious how has that um, has the talent pool have you fa- have you found that the talent pool has increased over the past couple of years? Uh, from previous, you know, previous years. No, <laughs> the talent pool is not increasing, and the demand for the talent pool is increasing. Um, this mm. has been a, a, a good market. There are a lot of companies investing in uh, more, more, more. Uh, the tech market has really exploded in Chicago, and and the demand for talent is at an all time high. Let's just admit it; it's it's a candidate's market. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard the same. And I've seen the same, so so definitely. I'm just curious because I, I know I was talking to some other people in the Chicago tech scene, and 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 they and they felt that you know while while they agree with you, they definitely see that more and more people are definitely wanting to move to the Midwest area, uh, especially in tech. Um, so well, so maybe maybe that'll change hopefully in the in the future. So there there are more companies doing interesting things right now as startups as growth stage tech companies than ever before. It is definitely a burgeoning scene. It's it's a pretty exciting time. We also I believe graduate more computer scientists than any city in the country. So the town is here and as you know the more companies that can say you're going to solve important challenges with technology. You are going to build stuff that you want to show off to your friends. And you can do it without having to leave your hometown. You know, you can stay in the area, stay in the Midwest and do it. I think we have a real shot. You will see so many more Chicago companies doing big and important things in the next five years. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very bullish on the community. Nice. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Uh, well, I want to I get to the last question before we get to the lightning round. And, and this has to do with company culture, which we, which we kind of were – touching on just now, sort of, when we were talking about hiring and stuff like that. But like many other CEOs, company culture is important to you. Uh, I read an article actually, you know, in preparation for talking to you about how on the first, uh, you talk to employees about their departure day on their first day in the office. Why is that? It's it's very indicative of how we want to operate, which is it's not companies and employees, it's just a bunch of people. And the reason we talk to employees is to try to have an open and honest conversation around open and honest conversations. You're an adult. Welcome to Jellyvision. We're glad you're here. But the reality is you're probably not going to be here forever. 
And what we'd like to do is just lay out some, some expectations we have and some desires we have and talk about your expectations and desires. So when the time comes that you want to leave, we can do it as gracefully as possible. There's no reason to make it weird. Like job searching is weird. Interviews are terrible. They're basically like a blind date without the drinking where you're going <laughs> to basically figure out if you want to spend the vast majority of your waking hours with this, with these, you know, team members. It's a, it's a terrible process. But once you're there and you are spending the vast majority of your waking hours with team members, let's just be adult and honest about it. Let's have open and honest conversations. If we're not meeting expectations, we want to know about it. And we'll say, hey, either we're going to get better and you'll hold us accountable to that or we're not able to meet those expectations. Let's help you land somewhere else where you're going to be happier. And similarly, you want to know as an employee if you're meeting expectations or not. And if you are meeting expectations, you want growth in every way across the board, and the company's obligated to provide that. And if you're not meeting expectations, you sure don't want to be surprised. All of these things we just talk about, you know, human to human, to build trust, to set an expectation for open and honest feedback in every direction, and and to treat people with respect. Like to us, it's, it's respectful towards employees to say, hey, we know you have a million life considerations and Jelly Vision's not the only one and we may not be your, your forever, ever job, so let's just be normal humans about it. Um, but all the things, it's not just important to talk about, but the way we talk about it and why we talk about it, I think gives people a sense of what we, we hope for as a community together. So do, do you find that that, 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 that uh, conversation goes off, I guess, without a hitch? Is, is, it, is it something that they expect or... Is it kind of something that you, you welcome day one? Let's just talk about this and get it out of so, the way type of thing. I think I think that there's still novelty to it, especially as we grow. I think the biggest thing that starts to erode as a company grows is trust. Um, the, you hear things like, well, they and they is management. And management is like, it's me and Kurt <laughs> and Helen and Brent. It's just a bunch of people who work really hard for a living who sometimes make mistakes but are well-intended. And I think, I think the whole thing that we're, we do is we try to lead with trust. We assume if you make it through our gauntlet of a hiring process, you have and will use good judgment and we give you a lot of leash accordingly. Similarly, you, we ask for your trust. Trust us that if you come and say, hey, I've made a mistake at Jelly Vision. This job isn't for me. I'd like to begin looking somewhere else. We can say, thank you for the trust you showed us and being open and honest about it. Uh, we have pretty good networks in Chicago. What do you think would be a better fit? Are there companies you're interested in talking to where I can make you an introduction? Uh, it, it's, it's, about, it's about trying to provide and ask for reciprocal trust. Uh, that to me is what starts to erode uh, as companies grow. There, there's a mistrust and we say, please assume good intent. And if you go into every situation at work where you're assuming good intent and whoever you're interacting with, it's amazing how few HR issues there are. Hey, that makes sense to me. I think that actually, that that it's actually a really smart way of looking at it. And I do think that trust obviously is goes both ways. Uh, oftentimes, like you were saying, if if you have if your employees are referring to you as they as management, not by you know Amanda or whatever, you know did this because you know she understanding that you did something because you feel it's in the best interest of the company. Obviously, acknowledging that you sometimes may make a mistake, uh, but as long as you own up to that mistake, I guess, then then I think that real that I think makes employees realize that the decision you did make, even though it might have been a mistake, wasn't actually for the best intention, with the be, done with the best intentions. 
Um, so I, 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 I and trust, like you said, I think is super important on that on that element. Jeff, that's a great point, actually, because it is really important. Companies don't trust their employees either. Prescriptive policies about where and how you have to work, prescriptive policies about spending, prescriptive policies about really anything that don't allow employees to use their expertise and their best judgment show that companies don't trust employees. You know, our whole thing is like try to not knee jerk to something going wrong with policy. Really allow our people who are smart and well intended to make the best possible decision they can in the moment for anything. And our, our, our biggest policy is use good judgment and informs our uh, flexible leave policy. It informs how we ask people to run the business. But leading with trust is hard. Like there are people right now at Jelly Vision making important decisions who I haven't even met yet. It is harder to trust than when we were 14 people in a room trying to make it work. But it is all the more important because it engenders trust back and, and then things just run more smoothly. So your, your point is excellent. Like companies must trust their employees because uh, if they don't, they're probably rewarded with poor behavior accordingly. And we, we trust our employees and they're, they're lovely human beings on the front lines um, because they know, they know we're relying on them uh, and they take Absolutely. it seriously. You, you seem like a good boss to work for. <laughs> oh, I'm a total jerk. I'm the worst. <laughs> the so worst. I, I'm curious, uh, before we get to lightning round, what, are there any other kind of methods or things that you have in place? Obviously, you know, trust is big. Um, being upfront, talking about, you know, real, uh, cer- real things that will pop up in the future, like you may not work at Jelly Vision forever. Or, you know, what other things, what other things uh, from a cultural, company culture standpoint do you have? Have you implemented to ensure that uh, that everyone you know is is happy working there? I I talk about this one a lot, but I'll throw it out here because I think it's it's important for for entrepreneurs. So job descriptions are probably the most important marketing a company does, and yet it's when companies get the most boring. They write job wrecks instead of manifestos and war cries. The better you know yourself, and the better you put your company ethos into your job descriptions the more likely you are to galvanize people who will be an incredible cultural additive uh, you know, value, like someone who really come in and make your culture not just the same but better. They'll lean in, they'll identify themselves with a cover letter or a great response back, and you'll save a ton of time in recruiting. So in terms of building a culture, know yourself, know what is gonna work, know what you're not gonna tolerate, know what you think is funny, know what is a waste of time, and try to tell your story as best you can on your website and in job descriptions. So the people who will thrive lean in and people who will not fit opt out and set up your processes accordingly. But I, I see too many wrecks when it's basically a, a commercial for someone talented and in demand to give you an awful lot of time in their life. So don't don't short out on job descriptions, especially as a small company competing uh, with a riskier value proposition. You got it. You got to be amazing. Yeah, I, I've, I've been on the Jelly Vision site. And I've I've looked over some of the uh, profiles, including yours, on the site, and it reads like it reads like I'm talking to someone. You know, it's 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 it feels feels uh, conversational and kind of funny and like has a human element to it. I have I haven't looked at any of your of, of your guys' jobs uh, postings, but I are would I am I right to assume that they're kind of written in in the same uh, light? Uh, you're absolutely right. And somebody might look at that and go, they're too silly or squishy. Why can't they just get to the point? <laughs> Thank you. Please opt out. 
we're not everyone is for everyone and that's okay like you know two-way fit is important and so we try to pour ourselves we're earnest we sweat details we're eager to please that may not be your thing and if so we want to spare you arriving at jelly vision because we're going to make you miserable right yeah no, you, right like you said you can't please everyone and if that doesn't appeal to you then then you shouldn't you shouldn't work at that particular company uh, it's obviously not your fit not your style and that's fine that's fine that's fine as you you have an individual uh, as an individual have a particular place uh, work environment that you prefer if if that's not what that's not what you offer at the company that you run, then so be it. You'll find somebody else who, who's a better fit. You don't want to, you don't want to waste their time. You don't want to waste your time. Um, so I think I think like you said, kind of getting across who you are as a company, uh, super important. Like you said, especially when hiring, uh, making that clear from the get go. Yeah, agreed. Yep. Awesome. So we've now made it through to the lightning round which of course is supported by wix you can create a professional website today that's wix.com that's wix.com so amanda whenever you're ready you let me know and we'll get started i am nervous but i'm gonna share <laughs> let's let's do it let's all right here we go first question which celebrity chef would you most like to have make you a meal Hugh, the guy with one eyebrow who does elevated uh southern cuisine Hugh Atchison. Okay, I don't know him, but I'm gonna have to look him up now. <laughs> what 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 southern cuisine, uh, cuisine would you want him to make you? Just curious. Fancy grits. Love me some grits. Love throwing on some elevated elevated grits or biscuits or anything like that that looks fancy on a plate. So I feel like I'm a classy lady eating it. Uh, I grew up in Virginia. My dad is from Alabama, and I really do like southern uh, southern food. So something nice. something southern and elevated. You know the you know how I learned about grits. My cousin Vinny, because <laughs> uh, like obviously I was born in New York, born and raised, so uh, grits is not really a thing that's popular here. Yeah, but, um, no. But are, like, having watched that, it. it's, maybe it's an acquired taste. I don't know. Best movie you've seen lately? Tough question. I recently rewatched um, Shawshank Redemption, and I'm going to stand by that, even though it's an old movie. I watched it again, and it still made me cry. It's an incredible film, Shawshank Redemption. It's a classic for sure. Would you ever fly to the moon or another planet? No. So, so no, 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 uh, no Tesla, SpaceX rocket for you. I am respectful of the fact that we have no idea what is out there, uh, and I, I love life on Earth, and I, I don't want to do things that like I climb mountains. I, I take certain risks. But I think the, the, the risk of that is cool enough that I can just be happy looking at stuff through a telescope. I'm, I'm like, it, basically, I think I just admitted I'm afraid of aliens. Uh, that did just happen. <laughs> but I, I would pass on that incredible opportunity just because I'm, I, I, I want to live. Fair enough. I mean, it's certainly a risky proposition, especially in the early days, considering no one's really done it yet. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, aside from astronauts and NASA, yeah. but... Um, yeah. But yeah, so fair enough. I guess the mountains are as close as you'll get. Uh, that's that's but, it exactly, and no no alien probing. So I'm down with it. <laughs> Texting or talking? Depends to who. Uh, I would I, I'll go with talking. Oh, cool. texting! I like them both. I mean, I, it really depends <laughs> on who. Uh, I but I would say if you're trying to solve problems, talking. If you're updating people, texting. I'd agree with that. 
solving problems over over text can be tough and frustrating for sure yeah last one what's your cure for hiccups I hold my nose and drink water. Uh, and I, I actually had hiccups twice yesterday. And I said, I can't believe I'm like too old for this. And my colleague did the game over. He, he startled me and he got me pretty good. He really did scare <laughs> me. I, I jumped. I was like, that wasn't not nice. And then I still had the hiccups. So what, what to me works uh, is you plug your nose and drink water with your nose plugged. And for some reason, that works for me. Awesome. Well, I, 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 like, to, I like to ask. For me, I... Lately, peanut butter has worked for me, but other no times, kidding. It's been, yeah, late, other times I've had luck with like holding your nose and drinking water upside down, which seems seems like a really weird thing to do, but it has worked in the past. Uh, I feel like I just experiment each time I get hiccups. Sometimes yeah, I just can't be were, bothered, but those <laughs> were so amazing annoying. questions. They're really amazing questions. I mean, I wish I'd answer them all differently about three minutes from now. <laughs> Yeah, well, they're going. They're going to go live in, on, on the podcast in some sometimes. So I'll, I'll have to keep you posted. <laughs> La- last thing. So um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, through LinkedIn, Amanda Lannert, L A N N E R T, and our website is jellyvision.com, J E L L Y V I S I O N dot com. There you have it, Amanda Lannert. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. I had a, I had a lot of fun. I look forward to keeping in touch. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.